Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was reading an article this week from the Journal of Psychology, and it stated that they, every once in a while, they, they kind of look at the vernacular of our day, the vocabulary that we're using, and they go back and they assess what words are not being used anymore and what words are becoming extinct. And they did this particular study, this is a secular study, over the past 100 years. And one of the areas they looked at were words that had to do with um, integrity and truth. And uh, there was a general uh, denoting of this that they found that words like character, integrity, uh, conscience, righteousness, uprightness, virtue, uh, they found that there is a marked decline in the usage of these words in magazines and newspapers and in books that are currently being written. Again, this is a secular, uh, a secular study that they did. They found that there has been a, in the last 100 years, there's a 74% decline in those particular words. And as they were asking, why is that true? If we ask, why is that true? It's because our culture, uh, much of our culture no longer believes in absolute truth, that something is completely right or something is completely wrong. And because of that, when there is no absolute truth, when you can't say things are right or wrong, then it leaves you, it leaves you in this situation. Matter of fact, this is what they said. They said, the vocabulary for talking about issues as either right or wrong thus seems to be shrinking. The very words that we use are not appearing or even being used nearly as often. There is a 74% decline in the last 100 years. Is that not amazing? Is that not telling of our culture? When we cease to believe in absolute truths, we no longer even use those terms. You know, Jesus certainly has something to say about truth, and the Word of God is truth. It is the truth that we can always rely upon, that we can know. And as we look at this text, I believe that there are three points, three things that this text teaches us. Uh, As Tommy read it earlier, uh, this is a text that's often confused, but I want to go ahead and give you the three points right up front that this text teaches. First of all, it teaches the holiness of God's name. And what does that mean, the holiness of God's name? Uh, one of the commandments is, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Now, typically, we've thought about that. That's when someone puts a curse with it. They make it a curse word. But actually, uh, that, that also can be true, but it's actually using the name of the Lord in a unholy way or referring to him or using his character for your benefit or for a, a reason other than bringing him glory. So that's using the name of the Lord in vain. And this text teaches us the holiness of God's name. Uh, we'll see in the culture at this time, uh, they went to great lengths not to even use the name of God, which we now assume, and uh, our, to our best guess, was that of Yahweh. They wouldn't even speak that name for fear of bringing uh, vanity or using it in vain. So they would use Kenyans, which was a term uh, that they would describe, use other terms to describe who God was. And so they had a high view, they had a high recognition that uh, God's name was to be holy, but yet 
they broke the letter of the law, as we will see. The second thing that this text teaches us is that God is omnipresent. Omnipresent. Now, boys and girls, that's just a big word that means God's everywhere, okay? God is everywhere. He's in all things. So you can't put your life in a dichotomy and say, this is where I'm, when I'm before God, when I'm at church, when I'm in worship, or when I'm in certain places, then this, I want to be careful about God. I want to be careful what I say and do. And then there are other places, well, God's not really there. I, I say and talk and I speak completely differently. It's a completely different scenario. The truth of it is God is everywhere. And we notice that in this text. And then thirdly, the importance of our personal integrity. The title of this is The Kingdom Life Integrity. What we're talking about is the kingdom life. Uh, the great sermon here, Jesus' greatest sermon, the king's speech that he's given. And as he's speaking, he's teaching us how to live out the kingdom life and what it looks like. And integrity is a big part of the kingdom life. Now, what does that word integrity mean? Well, integrity simply means this. It's being of the same mind, heart, and spirit in actions. Our words are whole. It's, we're all one. You know, there's a term in mathematics called integers, and that's from this word integrity is taken. It means a whole number. Now, if it's not a whole number, what is it? It's a fraction. And so integrity means that our life is not fractured. What we say and what we do and how we go about it is of all one spirit. There was a term called casuistry that uh, was occurring during the time of Jesus. And casuistry simply means this. It's to take the precedence of another situation that was right and correct and whole and to misuse it for your own benefit in your situation. So what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. We're, most of you are familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boom. Uh, she uh, was one of the girls, she was a girl who, uh, her and her family hid Jews during World War II from Nazi Germany. And at one point when she was just 10 or 11 years old, uh, a, a soldier came to her door, knocked on the door and said, uh, are there any Jews in your home? And she lied and said no for the protecting of her life. It's interesting in Psalms uh, 15, it talks about he who stands for integrity till it hurts, basically. He who's willing to suffer hurt because of his or her integrity. And uh, Cordian Boom did that at great cost to her life. Matter of fact, finally, she, in the end, she's imprisoned and her sister dies uh, because they believe so strongly in the value of, of life and of protecting those who could not protect themselves. So that's the picture that's given there. Well, what we might do today, someone might do today, which would be casualty, would say, well, you know, Cory Tim Boom told a lie and well, yeah, this is in business, but the truth of it is, you know, I'm going to use this money to help other people, or it's really not going to hurt over here, or uh, they really wouldn't understand to begin with. And so we take a pure example of something someone did for life at great harm and cost to them, and we use it just for our benefit or just to get out of a situation. Okay, we scale it back and we rob from uh, something that has integrity to use it in a case where there is little or no integrity. So Jesus is dealing with this issue specifically. And we ought to understand that there are two forms of integrity. There's first, there's the inward integrity, what's in our heart, our real motives. And then there's what we do. There's the blameless part of our outward appearance. There's what we do. Uh, there's uh, that we don't cause others to stumble by our actions. So there's inward and outward integrity. And there are three 
biblical institutions that I want to make mention of again here. You've heard me talk about this several times. A lot of times people read this text and they go, oh, you're not supposed to make promises. You should never take a vow. And so some, like Jehovah's Witness and others, will not take vows. They will uh, not make a, swear or make a promise. And that's not what it's talking about specifically here, okay? And we'll understand that in just a moment. There are three institutions that God has created. Some would say there's four. Uh, but we can say there are at least three institutions that are given to us by Scripture. The first one is marriage. Marriage and the family, sometimes those are divided into two, but we'll call them one today. Marriage and the family is an institution started by God, defined by God. It's not something that man came up with on his own. God designed it, and he instituted it. Okay? The second one would be government. God instituted government. Okay? And so it is, uh, it is something that God initiated and uh, has given to us and has created so that we might be able to live in a society uh, in proper order. All right? And then the third one is um, the church. I don't know how I forget that one. Uh, the third one is the church that was instituted by Christ, okay? It's three institutions. In each of those, you see vows are being made. There are vows uh, in regards to our marriage. When we are married, we take vows. We make a covenant commitment to one another, to our wife, to our husband. We make a covenant commitment. And just as in baptism last week, as we had many that were baptized, that's a picture of their covenant commitment, that they were baptized in Christ, and they're raised to walk in a new way of life, that they are raised to walk in the life of Christ, that in Christ's forgiveness and grace. And so there's the picture that's given to us, and we make a vow as we commit to our spouse to love, honor, and cherish, and to be with them until death as we part. That's the only way that we can honorably break that vow, okay? And so that's given to us. And then uh, there are vows also by the government, okay? When you, uh, if, if you are a soldier, many of you have served in the military, you took a vow to serve our country. Uh, if you are a government official, if you are a politician, you took a vow, you made a commitment. If you're a registered voter, which, by the way, you should be. We have some reg- voter registration cards out there. And um, let me just say this. I know some of you are going to get mad and send me your emails. I don't care. <laughs> you know what's really hard for me to listen to is when people gripe about our government and they don't vote. Shame on you. You are a hypocrite. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> if you don't vote, and you complain. That's hypocrisy. You must vote, okay? If you're a follower. We don't tell you who to vote for. I can tell you we gave you that site. It's, it's an independent site. Matter of fact, we'll put it back up here. VoteTexas.org. That's a bipartisan site that you can go to that shows you all the candidates, shows you the issues, where they stand. Go look at it. We've got an election coming up here in November. And uh, as a Christian, you need to vote. As a follower of Christ, you need to be voting, and you need to inform yourself. So encourage you in that. Um, that's free for today, all right? But for you to be a registered voter you, and for you to vote in the upcoming election, you certify, you, you commit, you promise that you are at least 18 years old, that you're registered to vote, that you've not committed a felony, you... Uh, you say, I'm, an, I'm a citizen of the United States. You make that c- commitment, and you should. So these are all examples in our culture, and these are all good examples of uh, what I think God would understand and expect. 
you may want to say, well, what about other scripture? What about this scripture there? Well, uh, certainly in Matthew chapter 18, we see that Paul uh, himself made a vow. We see later on in Matthew chapter 21, there are four other men that took a vow. In Leviticus 19, 12, the Bible says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. We see these vows occurring here. Uh, and we see that uh, even in, matter of fact, here in, in uh, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, um, let me read that one to you. Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If we wanted to, we could go and look at Matthew 23, when Jesus says, woe to those who make these, when he talks about each commitment that they make, and they don't fulfill it. And so Jesus is very aware of vows. We see it regulated in the Old Testament. We see it used by Paul in the New Testament. And so with that understanding, let's look at our text this morning, and uh, let's briefly uh, just investigate what Jesus is saying here. Um, in verse 33, again, you have heard it said of those of old. He's speaking of the teachers who have given you these laws, who have taught you. Most people, of course, did not have a Bible at this point. Uh, that was very rare, very difficult. They didn't have printing press. Usually there was one at the, the synagogue, and the priest would have one. But the common men didn't have one. And a lot of the, the common men and women, most of the women could not read, and really most of the men could not read at that time. And so... They were taught, and um, as they were taught, he says, you've been taught of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. Now, that's from Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 that we just read. You need to fulfill your vows. But I say to you, Jesus isn't taking a lesser view, he takes a higher view. And because of the casuistry, because of the scaling, as we'll see right here, Jesus says, I want you to understand the importance of your word. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. He's saying, you know what? If you've taken a vow before God, you, you have to keep it. But if you're taking an oath, you're just making a promise, as many have done in your culture. Many of you seem to, I want you to know I hold that just as valid. That's just as strong. Even if you haven't made it in my name. Even if you haven't done it uh, under my precepts to me. I still want you to hold it. So he's saying, if you're going to do it, he said, I say to you, don't take it if you're not going to keep it. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. And what they're doing, again, you see this scaling, so to speak. They start off, okay, don't do it by heaven. Don't do it at the throne. And these are degrees that the scribes, the lawyers of that day, that they put together for promises and covenants and commitments that were made before between individuals. And some would say, okay, well, there's a high, I made it by heaven, but I didn't make it before God. And then others would say, well, even the lesser degree would be of the earth. And still lesser would be by Jerusalem, and lesser would be by my own head. So Jesus says, do not take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God. In other words, don't take one with any intention but fulfilling it, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You don't know how much older you're going to get. You don't know how many more days you have. The scripture is teaching us here. So, 
when you take an oath, Jesus, and we saw it earlier uh, as we looked at the Old Testament, if you go back in Deuteronomy 23, hey, if you're not going to keep an oath, don't even make it. Be careful about what you make vows to, what you make promises to. It'd be better for you to not make them than for you to make them and not keep them. Now, part of this was the understanding that when they would swear by deity, that the deity would seek revenge upon that individual for not keeping that oath. So they would call upon their gods. And so that's how oaths typically would come about. And so the Jews said, well, you know, we're not going to do that. We certainly don't want to do that before Yahweh, and we wouldn't do it before another god. So we're going to come up with another criteria because we don't want to live by Yahweh's standards because he's already told us what they are. And uh, so we'll kind of have a little lesser standard. It's kind of like when you were a kid and, uh, you know, a kid tells you, do you promise that's true? And you put your hands behind your back and cross your fingers. I promise it's true. And then later on, the person said, oh, that wasn't true. Yeah, but I had my fingers crossed. You know, it's same, that, that same kind of mentality. And Jesus then goes on to say here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with the 37th verse, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more from this comes from evil. If you have to appeal to something else so that people believe you in your normal conversations, if you said, you know, I swear to goodness, I swear on my mother's grave, I swear on the grave of my child, my child's life. First of all, what you're doing is you're elevating that above the majesty and the holiness of God, the power of God. Secondly, you're saying my word is not enough. My integrity is not, I'm not a yes, yes, no, no. I have to give you all. And that's exactly what was happening to them. They had, they had exaggerated the truth so many times that they had to come up with this elaborate system that only the scribes truly understood. And Jesus said, I want to make this real simple. There'll be vows that you make, and you need to keep them. And other than the vows you make, and I would say really those vows for the most part, should be between those three institutions. Now, sometimes, again, that, that's necessary, I understand. But he said, for the most part, when you are in relationship with people, your yes should be a yes, and people should know that about you, and your no should be a no. And anything that you have to put on top of that is from the evil one. You know, it all started in the garden. It's where evil first began. And you've got Adam and Eve, and they partake. And um, what does is, what is, uh, Adam say? Adam says, the woman you gave me. He's deflecting, not taking responsibility. We're already going that direction. Then the woman says, it's the serpent. You know, and, and here we are today. We're still deflecting. Yes, I was wrong. No, I didn't. Jesus goes back and said, this is where in the kingdom life, this is what it's supposed to look like. You know, my, my, my dad and my grandfather both, um, uh, we, had, we raised cattle and we would take our corn and they would make this meal out of this mixture that we would feed our cattle and uh, we always drove about 40, 45 miles away. And uh, I remember asking my dad when I got older, and there was these guys with beards and, and that we would take it to. And I'd go, Dad, I noticed that there are other granaries around here. Why do we, why do we go to that one? He goes, well, son, this is where uh, the Mennonites are. And my, you know, your, your grandfather and I have been taking them here for 60 years. And uh, he said, you can just trust these people. He said, they've always done us right. So if I go somewhere else, we're going to need to weigh it. We're going to need to inspect it. If they got, gave us our grain, if they mixed it with something else. He said, you can count on the Mennonites and the Amish, son. They're always honest. I thought that's a pretty good word. We ought, ought to be like the Mennonites and the Amish. You know what I mean? Evangelical Christianity ought to be synonymous in the same way when it comes to our integrity. 
You know what? You can count on him. He is a Christian. He's a follower of Christ. And Jesus is saying, that's the reputation my kingdom should have. That's the kingdom integrity right here that I'm talking about. That you don't have to put superfluous promises and you don't have to use uh, these other exaggerated extensions just because you've not been truthworthy in the past. People don't equate your name with the truth. It's a big deal. You're sitting out there and you go, what does that mean for us today? What does integrity mean for us today? Well, integrity protects who we are. The Bible says it's more valuable than riches. What if I told you, you know what? I'll give you $5,000 if you'll take the blame for all my sin and all my blunders. If you'll take all the blame publicly and you'll let, you'll let everybody think it's you. And matter of fact, there's some things I've done illegal. And I think I can get you out of it, but everybody's going to think this about you. So your name's going to be ruined. What if I gave you $5,000? Would you do that? What if I gave you $10,000? What if I gave you $100,000, but your name is wrecked? And from now on, people hear your name, they think of just not good at all. Would you, would you sell your name for that amount? Now, I'm worried about those of you going, oh, let me think about it. I might do that. <laughs> no, hopefully you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to sell who you are, your integrity, your name. Why would we do it then when sometimes it comes to a transaction and it's a couple dollars off? We don't finish paying a bill. We borrowed money and we decide not to pay it back. We say we're going to do something and we don't do it. Why would we do that for 10 or 15 or 20 or $30? Why would we sell our integrity? Integrity treats people honestly. And in the kingdom, it's rewarded. But know that it will be tested. Integrity is what we stand on. It's who we are. Sometimes we're blessed. Sometimes we pay a price. But it's the life that Jesus has called us to live. What you stand on, what you do is who you are. You know, when I think of a person's name, there is a characteristic that comes up beside everyone's name. And that characteristic is who you really are. You know, I think of, I could think of hundreds of people in our church and our congregation, but I, I could think of a few. Um, I could think of Lee Clark, who has made it her point uh, to sponsor orphans in Africa and to build a home there. And, and uh, it's become the mark of who she is. Uh, Steve Smith uh, has been on a, a venture for over eight years now to see the, the Bible taught in school and has put lots of time and effort. And he sticks by that because that's who he is. That's his integrity. I think, I think about evangelist outreach. I think about Kathy Flores, who I can count on that uh, she is going to step up to the plate when there's someone that needs to hear the gospel. I think of certain people, and that, that characteristic just comes to my mind, that this is who they are, that honesty, I can count on. You know, there are a few people that I know. As a matter of fact, I had one, it was questioned not too long ago, and this person was telling me, well, so-and-so told me this. <clears throat> matter of fact, it was one of their kids. So, so-and-so told me, told me this. I said, that didn't sound right. And I went and talked. I said, I said what's, what's the bill? He said, I, I never said that. And he came back, well, that, that's what they said. That's what I believe. And I go, well, I believe you're wrong. And I can't do that with everybody. But there's some people I know because I've seen them in hard times 
and in the small times, when it costs them and when it's hard, they still tell the truth. And so I count on that. That's their name. So their name's not necessarily Mike or, or Mary or Larry or whatever. It's that characteristic is who they are. That's how I identify them. That's what I think of when I see them. Here's the question for us. What is the character that's associated with our name today? Who are you? That's who you really are. It's not what you say that you think you are. It's how people identify you from your integrity, from your character. Many people lose their integrity because of money, because of sexuality, as we talked about last week, because of power. I want more power. Or because of my pride, I I don't want to have to say I'm wrong or that I've made a mistake. They simply let their faith slip away. Jesus demonstrated through the New Testament ways that we can mirror, that we can understand, that Jesus, each time he encountered someone, he respected their dignity. Whether it was the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery, he respected their, their identity and their dignity. He was transparent and open. He righted the wrongs, the wrongs that people associated He was willing to stand up for what was right. And sometimes we have to right the wrongs. Wrongs that have been committed by us or by others. Integrity rights the wrongs. Sometimes we have to just decide what's important in our life. And quite frankly, put it on our calendar. Some of us need to just get our calendar out and put quiet time with God on there. I'm going to do it at 6 a.m. And it's on our calendar. Time with my family. It's on the calendar. Or, you know what, I'm not growing spiritually. I want to be discipled or I'm going to take a class. I'm going to be a part of a Bible study. And it's on Wednesdays at this time. This is when my Bible study, I'm going to be there. You know, in your education, I I talk to people all the time that, you know, I don't think I really like what I'm doing. I wish I could do something else. I said, well, you thought about going to school? Nah, I'm I'm older now and that takes too much time, too much money. Guess what? It's too much time and too much money for all of us. Everybody goes to school. Nobody says, ooh, that was cheap and easy. That's why they call it school, all right? So if you're going to make a transition, I don't, you don't really need to ask me to pray for you anymore. Just go to school, okay? Start taking a class and say, there's three hours a week. I'm going to take this class, and it may take me five years. But guess what? If you don't do it in five years, you'll just be complaining, all right? Make that st- take that step. And for all of spiritually, that's true. Physically, that's true. Educationally, that's true. Um, you know, people come to me all the time and say, I'm thinking about going to ministry. You know what I tell them? Start doing it and start taking classes. Ah, leave me alone. Okay, just leave me alone. Please leave me alone. Do it and prepare yourself. There's not an easy way out. If it was, everybody would do it and no, no one would, okay? And, and, and they wouldn't mean anything. Integrity is saying, you know what? I recognize the deficiency or the need in my life. And I'm going to prioritize it. I'm going to make it a priority. And I'm going to take those steps. I'm going to com- communicate my value. I want to grow in my relationship with God. This is what I believe. This is what I feel God's called me to do. And start doing it. And then keep your commitment. That's the biggest piece of integrity. Keeping your commitment. If it's small, if it's large, keeping it. That's how, you know, most people don't know you because here, here's what's not going to happen. We all think, here's how I'm going to show my integrity one day. One day, somebody's going to come in here with a, with a semi-automatic raffle, or maybe an automatic raffle, and they're going to um, 
Sometimes they go, all right, all the, everybody that's a Christian, stand up. I'm going to shoot you. And, and, you know, we think we're going to stand up. Truth of it is you're all going to hit the ground, okay? And we got security people, and you don't have to worry about that, all right? But we all think that's going to happen. That's the way it's going to happen. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to get shot for Jesus. Probably not. <laughs> Probably you're going to be walling around on the floor, okay? That, that's the truth, and that's okay, all right? But it's the little things that we do every day in our life that really build our character and our integrity that others see, that our kids see, that our family sees, that people at work see. And the last thing is finish well. Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, said, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. That's the great statement that should be made about all followers of Christ, that we fight the good fight, we finish the race, and that we keep the faith. You know, I notice so many people don't finish well. You ever noticed at work how a lot of times, when, and it's even true in the church life, people give their notice, I'm going to be leaving in six weeks. And then you don't really see a lot of them after that point. They kind of just exist. And they don't finish well. And you know what? People remember it. Whether it's good or bad, I remember it. But when they're those few individuals who finish well and they work just as hard or harder their last six weeks as they did the six weeks before, boy, I remember that. That speaks so well. And in, your, in the job market, when you give your notice, finish strong. That is such a testimony because it's a world that doesn't do it. And that's the kingdom ethic that Jesus is talking about. Finishing well. Spiritually. So often I... I I visit with people who get a little older and they go, I'm kind of done. I served when I was younger. I studied the Bible when I was younger. But I'm just kind of done with all that. I just kind of show up now. I show up and then if, I, if it's not raining or cold or hot, I'll be there. And I just kind of show up. And you don't finish the race. You get up there to the edge and you go, oh, I just kind of quit. Finish the race strong. What a great legacy to give your children and your grandchildren that that wasn't just something I did while you guys were around, but I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I completed the course. Oh, that we would do that as we cross the finish line to our God and Savior. So here's my question for you this morning. Who are you? Not the label that was assigned to you as a child, but from a character analysis What characteristic most identifies you? When people hear your name, what do they think? What comes to mind? And that is who we really are. Pray with me this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to confess to God, Lord, I have been about money. I've been about power. I've been about business. I've been about selfishness. God, I want to be identified with the character of Christ. Forgive me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. You've been making your own name, your own life, but Jesus is calling you today. I want to invite you to come and to receive him. To recognize that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness, but that God in his merciful grace through the person of Jesus Christ, has granted you salvation if you will receive that gift and transfer your trust to what Jesus has done on the cross. Whatever Jesus is leading you to do, I want to invite you to take that step. 
and integrity this morning. Maybe it's to be a part of Rock Point. Maybe it's to trust Christ. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to serve, to give, to share, to do whatever God is calling you to do. But I don't want to ask you to commit to do that and follow through with that commitment and finish well for the kingdom's sake. And let your character be redefined by your submission to Christ this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your great love and your great blessing. We commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.